Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, less ukulele. And on today's episode, I sit down with Craig Gravina of the Albany Ale Project and talk about the mostly lost ale style from upstate New York. We'll dig into some early American brewing history, the confluence of the Dutch and the British, and just how far around the world this beer traveled when Amazon two-day shipping just didn't exist. So prepare yourself for a trip in the Wayback Machine to strong ale deliciousness. But first, a message from our sponsors. Do you own a copy of John Palmer's How to Brew? If so, you know it's one of those truly indispensable resources for brewers. Well, it's time to replace that old dog-eared copy, because our friends at Brewers Publications have just published the fourth edition of How to Brew, and it's a totally new book. The new How to Brew clocks in at 600 pages, and every chapter has been updated and expanded, and there are five totally new chapters to boot. So grab your copy at your preferred beer book vendor, or buy it from the Brewers Association store if you want to get the book and support craft breweries at the same time. More info at BrewersPublications.com. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring Artisan Malt House Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout. Plus, we've got pro-level equipment and the best-in-cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same-day order processing, and guaranteed two-day shipping for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply. back again to the brew files this is drew you know that we like to dig into ancient and forgotten mysterious tomes pick people's brains for knowledge and well today we've got an ancient well ancient for america uh beer style and we have an expert on the style to come and tell us exactly what he's dug up about this so craig why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience well first off i'm glad that you didn't say that i was ancient ancient because, uh, hi, I'm Craig Gravina. I'm the uh, co-founder of the Albany Ale Project and the co-author of Upper Hudson Valley Beer. So now give us a little bit of your, your beery bio and background. So you just said that obviously you, you wrote Upper Hudson Valley Guide to Beer. And what else do we got? I was a beer blogger for a while. I haven't actually done a lot of writing on my blog for, for a year or two now. But I, I've always been interested in history and, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a beer guy. So I sort of fell into this investigating beer and history and how they relate to each other. And just so happens, I happen to be from Albany, New York, that the Upper Hudson Valley and Albany specifically 
was the center of ale production in the United States for a really long time, like going back really to the, to the first Dutch that showed up in, in New Netherlands in the, in the 1600s. And uh, it actually all started with my partner in crime, Alan McLeod, who's a Canadian beer blogger and a, a history-minded fellow like myself. About seven or eight years ago, he came across an advertisement in a Newfoundland newspaper from the 1840s or 1850s advertising this thing called Albany Ale. He basically just put out this question on his blog, like, what, what the heck is Albany Ale? And, and, and what's it doing in Canada? <laughs> Being from New York and, and Albany, you know, I was like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm already kind of investigating what's going on. And I just sent him a message and I said, hey, let's work on this together. And seven, eight years later, he and I are been digging into this, into this history. 400 year history of brewing in, in upstate New York. That's really how the whole thing came together. And the, the project sort of developed out of that where we contacted people in other countries for help. And we have people really all over the United States that are looking into stuff guys that are local, guys that are in uh, Wisconsin and Milwaukee, Martin Cornell in, in the UK, and Ron Pattinson in, in Amsterdam. They've all contributed some, to some level to the project. So it really is sort of an international history think tank, I guess. Beer history think tank. It's my favorite sort of history tank. <laughs> if only my history exams had been about beer, I would have done much better. Right, right. We would have all had eight. So now I have to ask, you said it all started with a newspaper ad. How does one just randomly stumble across a newspaper ad that advertises something like Albany Ale? You know, I, I don't know where, <laughs> to be honest, because that little bit predated me by a few weeks where he came across this. And I don't know if he was looking through newspaper databases or, or if he was just digging around on the internet to see what he could find about about beer. And, you know, being Canadian, he's very interested in, in the British connection to Canada. Obviously, Canada was a, was a British colony and part of the empire for, for a long time. So he was looking at just what was coming to North America from England. And I think that's how he ended up stumbling across it was this, wait a minute, is this, is this Albany in the UK? Is this something to do with Scotland or, or is it Albany, New York? And that's what it turned out. To be. You're talking about Albany being a marine center for a long, long period of time. But when exactly are we talking about this stretch of time for Albany Ale? So the, the, the tagline of Albany Ale really comes up around 1800. There's a, a brewer in in Albany, and he's actually one of a few breweries that are starting to sell their beer in New York City. And there's an advertisement in a New York City newspaper around 1805, where Edward Le Breton is advertising Albany Ale. And that's really the first time that you see that the tagline associated with, with beer coming out of Albany. But Albany has this tradition of pretty strong beer being made in, in and around the Hudson Valley that goes back to the to the Dutch. What's being brewed elsewhere, right? Because I mean, I I know like whenever I think of, you know, people talking about beer in the U.S. about that period of time, you know, there's a lot of stories about, oh, well, you know, they didn't have all the good beer ingredients. And so they, there was a lot of improvisation. There's a lot of weird things ending up in beer. Can you lay out like what the, the rest of the beer picture looked like at about this time? It actually plays into the Dutch and English sort of heritage in New York. New York is a, is a Dutch colony until the mid-1660s and the British come in and take over. And you're right, if you're looking at other colonies, if you're looking at, at what's happening in Massachusetts or Virginia, there is some weird stuff being used because barley doesn't grow very successfully on the east coast of the United States. 
what ends up happening, and one of the reasons that Albany becomes sort of a brewing center, is the Hudson Valley and the Mohawk Valleys are good wheat-growing centers. And wheat beer was popular in the Netherlands. And, you know, so you, you have this available product that they can make beer out of. And we know that, you know, the Dutch and the, and the, the English in the, in the 1700s really would make beer out of anything that was available to them, you know, spelt and rye and, and oats and, and wheat because wheat was so available. And we also know that it was really pretty strong stuff. You know, we see a lot of reference in writing primary source documents and talking about really good, strong beer coming out of, of Albany and the Hudson Valley, you know, as good as can be made in, in, in the Netherlands. So that's, that's, that's basically what is being made by the Dutch and really by the English. You start seeing porter coming in in the 1700s as well. Don't know if the porter's being made out of wheat or, or what. There, there's not a whole lot of information about what actually the, the porter was. But again, something else we're always investigating. Didn't, didn't these people know that we would care? <laughs> they should have left better records. I know, I know. You know, it's pre-scientific. Can't you guys just write everything down? We're, <laughs> that we need to know what your temperatures are. We need to know what your IBUs are. All right. Well, so let's talk what we know about Albany Ale. If I'm a brewer or a home brewer, I'm listening to the show and I'm intrigued by the idea of Albany Ale. One, let's lay out exactly what the heck Albany Ale is, and then we'll dig into how do we go and make an Albany Ale. We know around the 1790s, and... I'm going to, I'm going to mention newspapers again. A lot of our research actually comes out of newspapers. You know, we have some books and stuff, but before 1800, there's not a lot of writing about American brewing by American writers, by American beer sort of writers. A lot of what's coming over here is coming from the English. So we know in the 1790s from newspaper accounts that all of a sudden there's this, this call for barley. They want more barley. And there was uh, actually people in the state of New York, sort of think tank people in, in the state of New York, the sort of Renaissance men of the, of the late colonial period that are starting to say, hey, we should start brewing more with barley. So in the 1790s, we see this push for barley being made. So we know that by the early 19th century, Albany Ale is a, is a barley beer. And we know a little bit of that, especially because we have records of Matthew Vassar, the founder of Vassar College in Poughkeepsie. We have his brew logs from the 1830s, and he's using barley. And we also know that around the same time, there was a question of what water the Albany brewers were using to malt their grain with. And, and when I say a question, I don't, I don't necessarily mean like what's the chemical makeup, but rather are there like dead bodies and dead animal is floating in the water. There really aren't a whole lot of laws that protect people in the 1830s and 1840s about what they're consuming. There was actually a prohibition and temperance guy named Edward Delavane who accuses the Albany brewers of using stale and stagnant water and contaminated water in their malting businesses. And it's really the first volley in the prohibitionist movement against beer. What ends up happening is the New York State Senate calls a bunch of brewers together and and basically asks them what's in their beer. And we know from this 1835 Senate testimony, because a, a few of the brewers actually lay out their ingredients, and some of them actually lay out the amounts of their ingredients. And we compare that to what Matthew Vassar was doing, we can see that they were basically making the same, the same kind of beer. Sort of the hallmark of that was, was its strength. Well, so how strong are we talking? Well, it changes over time. It changes over the 19th century. Mm-hmm. In the 1830s, 1840s, and really, almost up into the 1850s, you see this—you see these numbers repeated over and over. What they said it was, 
It was about 7.38% in casks and about 10.67% in bottles. Wow. Yeah, right. Hold on. <laughs> and it, it didn't occur to me, and, and we'd seen these numbers before, and we'd seen them repeated over and over again, and it didn't really occur to me that they were actually measuring those in alcohol by weight, not alcohol by volume. So really, the low end is closer to about 95 and the high end is about 13.5%. Uh, look at that. Craft brewers are even playing around like craft brewers back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> so it was... It was pretty strong stuff. Like I said, it does change over time. I've seen some analysis of it in the 1870s, where it's it's the high end stuff's about nine percent at that point, and the and the the low end's about seven percent. And that makes sense with sort of the ongoing trend towards lightening up the beer as we got deeper and deeper into industrial times. I think also too by that point you're going to start seeing corn being introduced where it's no longer just straight up barley being used. But what's interesting about the analysis of the whole thing is there was this guy named Beck, who is an Albany scientist, and he actually does this analysis, and, it, and he doesn't do it for the temperance movement. The temperance movement actually kind of gloms onto it. He actually is comparing what Albany ale was to Porter and London and Edinburgh ale because Albany ale at that point was becoming really popular, and it was really available all over the country. By the 1850s and the 1860s, you know, you could get Albany Ale in Chicago, uh, which was really a cow town at that point. But you could definitely get it in New York. You could get it in Boston. You could get it in Charleston, South Carolina, New Orleans. You're starting to see it in California and San Francisco. I was going to say, you posted to your Facebook group a, a photo of distribution. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, that was and that was from the 1830s. You know, it's really all of the East Coast. My favorite thing about how far and wide it went is... We have newspaper advertisements from it in Honolulu in the early 1850s, like 1851. And uh, it was down in South America. It, it really was amazingly widespread. And a lot of that has to do with the Erie Canal, too. You know, you have uh, good grain growing areas out in western New York. You have the hops industry. New York was huge in the hops industry in the 19th century. All the ingredients basically come down the canal and they come to Albany and the upper Hudson Valley. And the beer gets made and then sent to New York City where it gets disseminated to whatever. There's a letter from Vassar in the 1840s to a malt house in Mohawk, New York, which is out near Syracuse. And you're talking about a couple hundred miles away from each other. This brewery on the Hudson River in Poughkeepsie, 45 minutes to an hour north of New York City, is buying malt from a place that's 150 miles away from it in the 1840s. I mean, to me, that also speaks to you know, kind of that, that power of, you know, we're seeing a lot of like micro monsters rise up now. Yeah. And hops are being uh, started to be reintroduced everywhere. I know there's a big project to reintroduce them in, into upstate New York as well. It really speaks to all these ingredients used to be available in much broader swaths of places. Because I mean, yeah, it, it, they had to be because yeah, back during that period of time, a hundred, hundred some odd miles was a couple of days journey. Yeah. And the canal, like I said, the canal really makes a big difference. And it's funny, you don't see a whole lot of beer in the records on the canal going west on the canal, but you see a lot of ingredients. You know, you see a lot of grain coming from the Genesee Valley near Rochester, which is, you know, from Albany, you're talking probably 200, 225 miles away. That's all coming down to Albany. Madison County, which was the big hops growing area, you know, now when you drive, that's a, it's a good hour and a half drive away. I, you know, think about what that's going to take to do on a horse or in a wagon, it's going to take you, like you're saying, it's going to take you days to get there and days to get back. And the canal essentially brings 
almost modern, the, the modern ability to transport goods through New York to what you what you'd have today. You know, on a boat, it may take you a day to get stuff from Rochester. Somebody's got to feed New York City. Exactly. And, you know, that has a lot to do with it. We have a beer that in its early days, or at least the early days that we have the numbers for, you know, ranges from, I think you said nine to, what was it, 13%? Yeah. Right. So nine to 13%. And then later on in life, you know, seven to, to nine starts as an all barley beer, or is it barley and, and other things? And then it becomes barley and corn? Really early on, it's barley and, you know, it's six row barley specifically. Mm -hmm. The Scots sort of bring that over in the 1750s and 1760s. Like I said, it doesn't really catch on until the 1790s, 1800. And then New York becomes a really big six row barley producer in the in the early to mid 19th century. So we we know it's six row barley. And they're throwing some honey in there too, just as an adjunct, just to get that alcohol up. As time goes on, if you look at, we have some brewing records from an Albany brewer at around the turn of the 20th century, and they're using sugar and they're using a lot of corn in there too. That brewery is actually the last brewery to make something advertised as an Albany ale. It is nothing like what it was 75 to 100 years earlier. It's It's got it's got proprietary sugar in it, and it's it's only about five percent. And it's just their their standard double X ale that they that they are keeping the moniker to. But generally, through the nineteenth century, you're looking at a basically a barley with a little bit of honey thrown in, some salt. There's a little bit of salt thrown in there as well. Not very much, but it's it's in most of the records. And then I'm assuming the hops are going to be you know like New York clusters and and that yeah. Sort of and you know it's funny if you look at historic brewing records. And really, if you, if you go if you were to go to the UK and go to the London Metropolitan Archive, you know they've got all kinds of brewing records in there, and they're using a lot of New York grown hops. The funny thing about it is, though, even in American, it doesn't it doesn't tell you when the hops are added. It, it just gives you amounts and sometimes you know that where where the grower was. So you've got sort of half of the information that you need for hops. You just know really. They're using this many bushels. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it is kind of frustrating. And I know like when we talked earlier in the show to Peter Simons about Australian beers, because he's doing a lot of the same sort of research and digging into the history of Australia and their beers. Yeah. He had a lot of those same challenges of trying to figure out, okay, how exactly do we do this? But of course, what I also thought was really interesting was there he is looking at beers from you know, say about 1850, 1860 area, and they're calling for a whole bunch of California clusters. Yeah. You know, and they're importing those all the way into into Australia. So, yeah, talk about broad reach. Exactly. You know, and it, and it, it you know, it, it, it makes sense that they would be getting hops from California rather than New York. It's literally half half the time and half the, the distance. You know, in the 1850s, you don't have the Panama Canal or anything like that. You literally got to go all the way around South America to get there. So if California is growing good hops and usable hops, you know, you see in England the opposite of that. Well, you, that's not true. You actually do see some like Oregon hops occasionally. But in, in English brewing records, you see a lot of New York hops. But that's all it says is just New York hops. Uh, I don't think anybody was focused on breeds at the time. Yeah. The other sort of mystery about what Albany ale was aside from the hops was we actually have a lot of the, the, the brewing records and like how the beer was actually made and all that kind of stuff so we know that but the big mystery is by about 1840 you start seeing more and more advertising for albany cream ale and albany imperial cream ale and that we don't know what cream ale was we don't know if it was a precursor to what you see 
in the 20th century of a of a of a lager like ale. We know we know that it's not a lager like ale. We don't know if the cream ale had something to do in the advertising had something to do with it being simply the best, you know, cream of the crop. We don't know if it was a more heavily carbonated beer that produced a creamy head. There's all different kinds of and, and it's funny because we see different explanations of what cream ale was. By the end of the 19th century, you're seeing what we would consider to be a modern cream ale, like this lager-like ale, being referred to as a brilliant or sparkling ale. And cream ales, at the same time, there's Wall and Highness right about in their handy book of American brewing, that a cream ale is more in line with what a British mild at the time, you know, just sort of a, a, a beer that is brewed and then drank fresh. It's not, it's not aged, it's not stored, it's not a stock ale. So there's this this other kind of mystery thing that we're kind of always chipping away at trying to find little clues in here and there along with with the hops thing i think the hops thing might be a little bit of a of a, of a loss we may have to just chalk that one up to never knowing <laughs> but the cream one the cream out thing we may you know hopefully we'll get to the bottom of that eventually it speaks to the fact that till relatively recent times brewers brewers were sort of inconsistent about usage of terms yeah because I know the cream ale thing was exactly how we actually started first talking about the whole Albany ale thing. And I go, went back and forth and like, oh, yeah, like that, you know, that's a good point. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of and, and the other thing is, too, there's a lot of like advertising jargon that may not necessarily have been used by the brewers. But, you know, you buy an ad. And this goes back to the newspaper thing. You buy an ad in a newspaper and the newspaper is like, yeah, yeah, we'll take care of it. We'll sell this beer for you. And they just write the ad or you see it being used differently with different people in different areas of the country. And, and it's, it, it really is, it's actually one of my favorite aspects of the whole mystery, especially with the 19th century stuff. But like, all right, so what, what is this? You know, where does it, you know, we, we, we see really early advertisements in the 18 teens and 1820s with, with beer coming out of Philadelphia that's going to New York. We see advertisements for cream beer, not even cream ale, just cream beer. And then all of a sudden everything turns to cream ale. You know, and, and, and that has a lot to do with the history, too, because New York City, by the beginning of the 19th century, has has fouled its water. Right. It can't. There's not a lot of breweries in New York City. It's being supplied by Philadelphia. It's being supplied by uh, Upper Hudson Valley because they, they you know, they don't they, they've ruined their water. So there's this sort of like this arms race for the New York City market between Philadelphia and Albany. You know, and those are really the big three brewing centers for the late 18th and early 19th century are Philadelphia and New York and Albany. And, and Albany, because it's so close and because you have the canal open up, you, you, it sort of, I don't want to say supersedes the Philadelphia market, but it, it, it is a major competitor of the Philadelphia market. Well, they had, they had an advantage. Yeah. And not, and not just in terms of the canal, but also probably in terms of interstate regulations and taxation. And You know, there were, I mean, what, what ends up happening too is you have, you have brewers in Albany and the Hudson Valley that end up opening depots and in some cases other breweries in new york city as the the water gets better in new york city going into the 1840s 1850s and 1860s you're seeing these these ale breweries and that's a that's a big thing too that's it's something i wanted to to bring up too that there are lager breweries in the hudson valley but it's really it's really ale brewing that is important it's part of what's important for the project is that we're talking about this pre-lager ale brewing industry that that exists for like 200 years in the Hudson Valley. You know, there's this idea that American brewing industry doesn't start until the 1870s with the German immigration and lager. And 
I can't deny that history. I mean, that is definitely part of the American brewing history, but there is this sort of lost 200 years of ale production. And that, and it wasn't just like, you know, the occasional one-off ale here. Like I was saying, you can get Albany Ale in Honolulu in the 1850s, and it's it's ale. There's a very long history of even just American porter that I don't think we've adequately explored. And I'm wondering, so with this this ale tradition up there in Albany and, and upstate New York, if that isn't part of the reason why cream ale as we know it today has such a strong regional tie up there. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it was, I don't, I don't think that it was a, just a happenstance that you have that post prohibition period really of regional breweries in the Northeast from let's say the mid 1930s to the mid 1960s that are hearkening back. Everybody's making a cream ale. Again, it's it's really not the same kind of beer that was around in the 19th century, but it was a known moniker. So why not continue that? Why not why not continue calling it something? Somebody that was around and alive in, in 1909, but may have been a kid, may have known and heard what, what cream ale was. So by the time that they're that they're drinking and they're an adult in the in the in, you know post prohibition era. They're like, oh, cream ale. Yeah, I, I, I remember that. My dad used to drink cream ale, even if it wasn't even the same beer. Yeah, retro has always been a thing. Nostalgia yeah. is a powerful vibe. Yeah. One of the things that I've learned about this whole thing is that there, there is nothing new in, in the beer world. You know, I'm not in the industry. I'm just a, you know, just a, a history nerd that likes beer. But there's so many things that if you're coming down to even the business aspects of beer, consolidation and beer styles and how beer is made it's it's really all it's all been done before <laughs> there is no new tune just yeah. a new rhythm yeah before we wrap up on this i just want to come back through to summarize albany ale really we have early on that all barley beer and some honey and then finally a, a barley beer with corn adjuncts and sugar you know, ranging all the way down, you said that you're the last brewery making samples of it was at five and a half percent. Yeah. And we're talking what fairly hoppy, but with old school American hops. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you look at the 1830s stuff, they were saying and the stuff that came out of that Senate testimony said that they were putting between two and three pounds of hops per barrel. So I don't know how hoppy it was, but there are also reports of them saying that they're using so many hops that they had to pick the palest ones because it would turn hops green. But again, you know, like it wouldn't have been uncommon for, for brewers to use like really old hops. You know, they're not going to throw their hops away and there's no refrigeration. So they're just going to use them like you use your oregano in your spice rack. You know, you use it until the bottle's empty. And I think just like the earlier conversations I'd had with Peter where he talked about, we also have to adjust for the fact that most of the hops then would have been seeded. Yeah. And so they're less efficient to start with. Yeah. They just wouldn't have been as bitter to begin with. You know, you just had to use more to get the bitterness out of it. But if you really want to sort of pin the nail on the head of what Albany Ale was, let's say 1850 at the height of Albany Ale, its hallmark is its strength. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a doozy. As best we can tell, they made a variety of early on brown, amber, pale. By the mid 19th century, it seems to be what people are drinking are the, is the pale variety of this strong beer. And then the other thing, the other thing that really makes it unique is it, its exportation, you know, that it, that it's going everywhere and it's a, it's available. You can walk into a hotel in Boston and get an Albany Ale and know what you're getting, know that you're getting this strong pale beer and you can get the same exact beer in a bottle in New Orleans or Honolulu and that it's this 
sort of this heavy duty pale beer from all the hearing the descriptions of this this feels like well an american spin on the idea of the stock ale i don't know because i always think of stock ale as being a strong a stronger ale designed with the idea of some aging in mind i mean was was albany ale usually drunk aged or was it was it supposed to be a fresh beer? Well, I think that there is, you know, like if you're going to send beer to New Orleans in 1840 from Albany, there's going to be an element of aging just because it's on a boat for a long time or, or Honolulu for that matter. But I don't know if it was intentionally made to be aged. We do see later in the 19th century in Albany, stock ales. Around 1860, 1870, you start seeing actual, what we think of as modern styles appearing in Albany ale brewing. You see stock ales and like marketed diamond stock, that kind of stuff. So they're not just making Albany ale anymore. They're now they're now making a whole bunch of different beers. In fact, the earliest record of an American made IPA that I've ever seen was from 1855 from an Albany brewer, this guy named Archibald Dunlop. Now, I don't know if it is the earliest. This is the earliest I've ever seen. Now, IPA is definitely a stock ale. I don't know if Albany Ale was, and the reason that I don't know if Albany Ale was, was because of that cream ale moniker that it gets associated with it every once in a while. Right, because that, that would that would associate freshness with it. Right. I mean, if, if that's what that means by the mid-19th century, and it definitely does mean that at the end of the 19th century, that it's a you know a, akin to, a, a, to a, a British double exhale, mild. Right. So I don't know. I can't imagine that they weren't aging some of their beer. It doesn't. That doesn't seem like that would be an unusual thing for them to do. Perhaps not the stuff that is associated as Albany Ale. Once again, there's another mystery to chip away at. Yeah. Now, as you were saying earlier, nothing nothing is new under the sun. Ideas have repeated. Time is a flat circle. Have there been any microbreweries trying to do recreations of Albany Ale based on the, the work that you guys have been doing? Yeah, we've done a couple of them. We've done um, C.H. Evans at the Albany Pump Station. And actually, the Evans Brewery was a big Hudson Valley brewery down in Hudson, New York. And the, a relative of the original owners opened a brew pub in Albany. And we've done two different variations. We did a turn of the 20th century, 5.5% Albany Ale about five years ago. And then we did an 1830s, 1840s version. We also did with a brewery out in Middleburg, New York, which is uh, sort of a rural area of New York, sort of the eastern edge of what might be considered central New York. There was a big Revolutionary War battle there, the Battle of Middleburg. I, I guess it wasn't really a bit, it was a skirmish. Uh, and we did, a, we did a whole loyalist New Yorkers versus, versus Albany militia. We had a bunch of reenactors there and we made beers indicative of the 1780s, uh, an all-wheat beers. We used uh, bread yeast to ferment them, and we had a big, it was almost like a festival that we had out there. So that was that was a cool thing. And, uh, you know, every once in a while, we'll get home brewers. I put the recipe up on our Facebook page, and we have a bunch of people from all over the country that are now making, they're submitting them in to their beer contests and their brewing and their brewing contests at, under historical titles and stuff. So, and that's, that's all I that's all I want to do out of this whole thing is just get people aware of Albany Ale and and uh, America's, you know, sort of pre-lager brewing and I I think it's working. <laughs> yeah. Well, I and I mean I think in the current climate of beer aficionados and beer people being always seeking the new, you know, we've yeah. done we've done a lot with the new and I think now there there are people who are digging into into the old to find what else is there. 
I mean, we're starting to see some people bring back stock ales. We're starting to see, obviously, the work that you're doing here at Albany Ale. Peter and uh, Ron and, and Martin's work on historical UK and, and Australian beers, and even, you know, Kentucky Common as a style that people are digging into. So it's good to see. Yeah. yeah. Don't forget your history, folks. <laughs> exactly. Don't you wish you paid attention more in, in, in social studies class? Well, if they, had, if they had been talking about beer, I think more people would have. And that never mixes, though. Social studies class and beer in, in high school. <sighs> <laughs> oh well alright well hey so before we go Craig uh, is there anything else that you that you feel like people should know about Albany Ale or or about just doing any of this sort of research uh, for themselves or where can they uh, the, join up with you guys if you you know like if you do a Google search for Albany Ale I mean chances are you're gonna you're gonna run into my name you're gonna run into Alan's name you're gonna run into the Albany Ale Project.com which is our website you can do a search for us on Facebook just type in the Albany Ale Project and it comes up and you know say do you want to join and then we've got so much information online and you know if anybody has any information or if anybody has you know oh well my you know my great great uncle was John Taylor Robert Boyd like, we're always looking for any kind of information that anybody has like I said it's a project so anybody that wants to be involved we're, we're happy to hear from you and we're happy to to, to talk to you, answer questions via email. It's a fun history project. And it's beery. Two of my favorite things. Exactly. Craig, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to talk us through Albany Ale, a uh, kind of a fascinating piece of almost lost American brewing history. But I'm glad to see yes. that, you, that you guys are putting it back up there. So who knows what else other people will find. And for everybody else, we will include a link to the Albany Ale Project, to how you can find their Facebook page. We'll include some links to some recipes, and who knows, maybe I'll try and throw together my own version of a recipe for everybody to look at as well. Awesome. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me on. Um, I love I love that, that uh, we made this happen over our, our, our Facebook cream ale conversation. <laughs> oh, beer, what can't you do? <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this look at the Brogdignabian gloriousness that was Albany Ale. If you want to be in a New York state of beer, look up the folks at albanyaleproject.com, where you can find more information and join them on Facebook for regular updates on their research, and check the show notes for links to all the things you need, including recipes. So now remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can always drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com, or Drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every other homebrewing forum known to mankind. Don't forget you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts, click the Amazon AHA or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is Axel's Angels and the Desi Strong Foundation, funding the treatment and cure of pediatric cancer. So until next time, remember, the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files.